This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. It's a second down and 10. To the end zone, he's got him. Shooting, touchdown. He beats Jalen Watson. Russell Wilson has thrown his second touchdown. He went on to throw three in that game. The win for the Broncos over the Kansas City Chiefs, breaking the long streak that dated back to 2015. Russell Wilson in an odd spot where we start, Sandy. The Broncos are on the bye. It is Sandy and Sean. I am Sean Drotar. Yeah, back in the NFL. He is Sandy Clough. Danny Bailey's in the booth. And uh, your number, if you want to interact with the show, 303-831-1340, call or text. And it is hard to look at the Broncos at the bye now. We've seen a little bit of, of Russell Wilson, who I think by any any measurement you'd like, certainly the eye test, looks like a better quarterback than last year, though that was obviously a stunningly low bar. But seems very much as if he is miscast in Sean Payton's offense. And Payton, much like a college coach, just sort of seems to have his offense, and you're just supposed to play it, whereas... In the pros, in many cases, in most cases, and I believe personally in the most successful cases, coaches look at their roster and say, okay, I'm going to tweak what I'd like to do based on who I have. I don't get the impression Sean Payton has done that, and that leaves Russell Wilson in sort of an odd no-man's land, which is when you look over all the stats right where he kind of sits. There isn't a quarterback in the league that has the kind of disparity in metrics that Russell Wilson has. He is neither fish nor foul. He is neither the terrible quarterback he was last year, nor is anything close to where he was in Seattle at any point no. in Seattle. At any You're point. You're right. Uh, even after uh, the rare injury he sustained in his final year in Seattle in 2021 that caused him to miss the only games he ever missed as a starting quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. And just to give you a sense of this, he comes down in the EPA expected points added per dropback mm-hmm. category, basically in the middle of the league. He is 15th out of 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL. He has a negative number, 0.03. And the fellow ahead of him, Baker Mayfield, is at 0.02. Lamar Jackson, who's been terrific lately, is at 0.03 for the season. So the disparity is not great there. They're the two guys ahead of him. The two guys behind him are Gardner Minshew, who has the same minus 0.03 number, and also Jordan Love, who has the same minus 0.03 number. Expected points added per dropback. Wilson was even worse in that category this past Sunday. Minus 0.10. Despite having, a, by an otherwise very efficient day, 12 for 19, three touchdowns. He was 20th out of 32 starting quarterbacks. For this past Sunday, EPA Hmm. per dropback. But then you go to his passer rating, which is for the season 101.7, fourth in the league, and 119.3 on Sunday, which was was a good Sunday for quarterbacks coming off 
the, a very rugged Sunday for quarterbacks. 119.3 placed them only eighth. <laughs> there, there are actually seven quarterbacks who had a higher passing rating number, but you get the idea. He is a top 10, if not a top five quarterback in passer rating, for sure. There's, there's no disputing that. But he is, at best, middle of the pack when you look at the other metrics, which seems to be the quarterback that Sean Payton is looking at. But if Wilson has the strangest combination of numbers, metrics, of any quarterback in the league, correspondingly, Sean Payton, in many ways, is the strangest play caller in the NFL. Again, the Broncos are very good in areas where they don't try to do very much or don't seem to trust Russell Wilson in categories in which he's actually been pretty good. And you have numbers to illustrate more of the uh, uh, kind of uh, odd discrepancy again among the various metrics when it comes to play calling and offensive philosophy. Yeah, the, behind uh, over you look at some of these things, and I'm looking at the the slight difference. You would look at EPA, the expected points added. You were looking at it through drop back. I'm looking at it through, at the result of the play. So that Which can include the sack. It can include whatever, right? Which may or may not be Russell Wilson's fault. Here's the right, but here's the Broncos in the, in the, the red zone. Sack we're talking now. They've had 91 plays in the red zone, and you right. heard the highlight with Jerry Judy being yep. pretty close to that as well. The average uh, and the Broncos are are pretty heavy in in three formations on the whole, right? Uh, shotgun, single back, and empty. They actually run uh, almost 10% of their red zones out of the I formation, which is somewhat unusual. The league runs that at an average of about 5.7, so half again as much. Empty backfield, the league in the red zone hits that about 8.3%. The Broncos at 13.2, so even more than half again average with the empty backfield. And they run the single back at a rather high rate, 30.8%. The league average is less than 20. does not surprise me. So this is kind of Sean Payton's offense. He prefers the single back formation more than the rest of the league. He prefers the empty formation in the red zone more than the rest of the league by pretty wide margins and the I form. The one he doesn't is the shotgun. Now, oddly, even in the red zone, the shotgun across the league is 56.8% of the snaps. Not probably a shock if you watched NFL football. The Broncos are at 40.7%. That's only two-thirds as often. Now, here's the part that's weird. You go for the EPA rank in this case, or you just go by the numbers. The expected points added. The Broncos are positive in the I form, although they've only had nine red zone plays, at point one. That puts them in the league eighth best. The rest of them, though, not that good. The single back, which he heavily, pardon me, the empty formation, which Peyton prefers, at a rate more than 50% higher than the rest of the league, they're 16th, and they have a negative EPA ever so slightly, a negative .01. In other words, it's not really helping their cause, not really hurting their cause. It's not doing much. But it's 16th. Yeah. The single back formation, the one that really stands out, the one that he runs almost a third of the time in the red zone, has a negative .08 EPA per play, Poor. 21st in the league. Yeah, That's where it stands out. Oddly, the shotgun in which... Peyton likes only uses only about as two thirds as the average of the league. So that's rather infrequent when you're only using something as two thirds as the average. And we know it's a passing league. This is the shotgun. 
most plays in the NFL, by the way, period, regardless of down, distance, early in the game, <laughs> late in the game, most plays in the NFL are now run out of the shotgun. Right. The Broncos don't. Oddly, their EPA there, 0.34, they run at 29th most often out of 32 teams in the red zone. So it's about near the bottom. Their EPA rank, number one. Number one. When when a team is running out of the shotgun in the red zone, no team is more efficient and effective than the Denver Broncos. Yet they use it at the fourth lowest rate of the league. That, to me, is very strange. And I, I think what we saw... And what we have seen from Russell Wilson this year, by the way, 16 touchdowns matches what he already had all of last year, are these kind of situations. What you're seeing with your eyes sort of matches up with these numbers when we stack it out. In certain spots, Russell Wilson looks really good. Really good. Right read. Ball on time. Ball on target. Really good. And then there's certain, certain circumstances where you, you said it, neither fish nor foul. He doesn't look like he belongs out there at all right. on those plays. And that's where I think this is strange because multiple things can be true at the same time. Russell Wilson can be much better than he was last year and not be the, the anything like he's been in his prime. Which is, I think, where both of us more or less came down mm-hmm. in the months leading up to the season and just projecting on two guys who had never worked together before, the head coach, Sean Payton, and the quarterback, Russell Wilson, that he wouldn't be Drew Brees, he wouldn't even be Russell Wilson in his prime, but he wouldn't be a disaster. A disaster, he which hasn't. he was last year. He would not be one of the four, four or five interceptions. Quarterbacks in the league. hasn't been a disaster. No, the, the, no. the passer no, rating no. is poor. And, and, but what but we're seeing is, is numbers it, is are it, good, and then numbers are right. bad. But the bad numbers might be better if, if, if you he if, were yeah. used according to his strengths. It feels like that's not happening. But they, they, and they, I don't know where Wilson's ceiling him, is, but it feels like yeah, they've stripped him of the things he he does well. And they're kind of making him into an almost low-risk quarterback. And now, you know, here are the quarterbacks who are in the bottom quarter of the league. Uh, you'll recognize the names as being particularly ineffective. Tannehill. Uh, Bryce Young. Ritter, who's been benched now. Right. For they Taylor may that way with Taylor Heineke, yeah. Uh, Mac Jones. Mm-hmm. Pickett, Daniel Jones, Zach Wilson, Deshaun Watson, right? He isn't any of those guys on the basis of his performance. But he is in many ways being used as if he were yes, one of those guys. that's a good guys. way of putting it. I mean, if you look at the way the offense was running against Kansas City, if you could say that's the offense Desmond Ritter or Mac Jones would run, I would agree with you. Yes, that, that looks like that's like the planning is. And it happens even in, like, late-down situations for the Broncos. None of their alignments have positive EPAs, except, by the way, for the the single-back formation, which has been pretty successful for them. But again, when you're looking at the EPA rank, the best play for the Broncos in the late-downs, the shotgun. Yeah. Now, they're 11th in EPA. That's not great, but they're 11th, and it's the best of any of their formations. Once again, the Broncos run on late downs, 66.7%. Not a shock. Late downs, right? You're, you're going for first downs on that play. But the league average still is 74. So it, it feels as if Wilson's best plays are out of the shotgun and giving him an opportunity to create. 
a little bit. And it's as if Sean Payton absolutely doesn't want him to do that. I mean, get this. We talk about those late downs, those third and fourth downs. The Broncos EPA is .12. It's not amazing. Like I said, it's 11. That's good. But you know what the league average is in those situations? Negative .05. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to eat. The league average is negative. The Broncos are positive. And you can go across the board, and what you'll see is the Broncos in shotgun use it as at a lower rate than most teams, yet it is often their most successful formation. And that is because Sean Payton and, to a certain extent, his OC just don't want to call those plays unless they have to. Yeah. I'll give you the four tiers of quarterbacks when it comes to EPA per dropback. Eight, 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 and eight. All right. 32 guys who've basically been most of the time the starting quarterback for their teams this year. You start at the top, no surprise, with Tua. You go down to eighth, and you have Matthew Stafford, who next to Wilson has had the widest discrepancy, yeah, except it's see that. flipped. His EPA per dropback for the year is top 10. His passer rating overall this year is 24th, and he was 22nd last week in the ball game at 78.2, which you know the average is 90-91 in the NFL, 78. Anything below 80 is pretty bad. Second quarter of quarterbacks starts with C.J. Stroud, who's actually been dropping. He's out of the top eight now. He is ninth. At the bottom, you have Gardner Minshew, and right ahead of Minshew, you have Wilson. So Wilson, of the four tiers, is in the second tier. Now, Mm -hmm. bottom of the second tier, but second tier. Third tier starts with Jordan Love and ends with Joe Burrow, who is obviously coming on Uh, fast over the last few weeks. And as I outlined, uh, the lower tier Starts with Tannehill and ends with Deshaun Watson, who can't even get into games right now for reasons that uh, people even in Cleveland uh, can't yeah. quite don't understand. Seem to know why. Yeah, that's that's an odd. And Tannehill's out. Tannehill's hurt. And yeah. If, if Levis uh, plays, plays like that, he's not getting his job back. Like he did on Sunday. Right. He won't be relieved of his starting job anytime soon, whether Tannehill is healthy or not. So you, you, you get the idea. And let's put all of our talk about the defense, which is accurate as it pertains to the last three games. Mm-hmm. But to give you an idea of how bad the first five games were, the Broncos remain in virtually all metrics the worst defensive team in the league. That's how bad yes, they were. That's how bad they were for five weeks. Correct. Like even three weeks of good football. It's kind of the Joe Burrow mm-hmm. effect. Joe Burrow wasn't the worst quarterback, but he was in that lower quartile and probably in the middle or even yeah. toward the bottom. But if you started watching those maybe first four or five, two or three games, weeks that, ago, now you're, like, you're hey, watching. It, it, just in the last three weeks, Joe Burrow's been Joe Burrow. He's been one of the top eight quarterbacks in the league. Probably one of the top five quarterbacks in the league over the last three weeks to a month. So just putting an overall perspective, we're at mid-season. It's time to do these kinds of exercises where yeah. the numbers actually mean something. What What should, when we look at what Sean Payton basically does, 
You, you talk about the personnel alignments, 11 personnel and 12 personnel is where the Broncos uh, mostly live at. And by the way, when we talk about that, I was going to remind people, those are not actual numbers. They're digits. The first digit is the number of running back. The number the second is the number of tight ends. So 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end. In other words, fancy football speak for three wide. 12 personnel, fancy speak for two tight ends. Heavy, right? The Broncos in those two alignments play 74% of their downs, regardless of situation, in those two alignments. Now, that is actually a little bit lower than what you'd expect. The percentage in 12 is slightly higher. The percentage in 11 is quite a bit lower because the Broncos are at 74, but it's not that outlandish because the two together on league average for those two, 11 and 12 personnel, is about 81%. So it's fewer, but not as much as you might think. That's where they play the vast majority of their plays. But... The, the EPA per play part, again, is a little bit strange. It, it's like, at times, Sean Payton almost has moved on from Russell Wilson already. As if he doesn't really want Russell Wilson to play quarterback. As if he really wants someone else to play quarterback that plays it the way he wants. And that part, I think, is difficult. Now, the Broncos, I think everyone believes, and I think Russell Wilson believes it too, that this is the last year for Russell Wilson in Denver, and they're going to move he on. He has to know. And so there is an argument, I guess, for Sean Payton to say, well, this is what we're going to run. That's why I'm installing it. I need the rest of the guys to get who are going to be here to get, you know, on, on time and on target with it. And Russell Wilson gets paid what he gets paid. He'll have to learn to live with it. And I think that's basically what the Broncos are doing, but it's important to look at that. When you look at this second, it's back into the schedule and think that maybe the Broncos are pushing for the playoffs. If you want to know why coaches who want to be a certain kind of team, whether it's offense or defense. If you want to know why they just can't say offensively, for example, we want to be a power running team. But at this point, for a first-year head coach here in Denver, as Sean Payton was and is back in August, why not just say that's more aspirational than a statement of what we absolutely will be? I'm a new coach here. I'm in my first year. I have some ideas on how I want to run things, but we may not get to all of those things right away. And he doesn't have to talk in specifics about any particular individual, namely the quarterback, mm-hmm. right? If you want to know why coaches don't do that, you're coming to the wrong person if you're coming to me. Because to me, it would be very easy to say that. In place of, well, anything that happens that's bad this year goes back to last year. Last year's coach, last year's front office, last year's coaching staff, last year's PR department. I mean, he got everybody with that diatribe except the quarterback, and it's the quarterback through his actions that he clearly does not believe in. He is, along with Wilson being the strangest quarterback in a statistical sense, 
Sean Payton is the single most enigmatic coach in the National Football League, and I'm trying to find a neutral term, and enigmatic is the best I can do. I could say harsher things, but enigmatic seems about right. And you say, well, you know, they've won the last two games. Let's focus on the present. Well, that's the issue. If we focus on the present, why couldn't three and five be four and four or five and three? Well, and if they were either been. four and four or five and three, they'd be in the thick of the playoff chase. They'd be at five and three in the playoffs, even in the American Football Conference. And let's be honest, 11 of the 32 teams are three and five or worse in the NFL. Those teams behaved at the deadline as if they don't think they have much of a shot in 2023 of making the playoffs. And history says they're right. Whether it's a 16-game season or a 17-game season, if you're three and five or worse at roughly, if not exactly the midpoint of the season, you're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. The schedules really don't get, for the most part, substantially easier in the second half of the year. Most of the time, division games are backloaded. We've seen that here play out. It doesn't get easier, and it won't for the Broncos. Um, the Athletic today came out with their uh, projections, their betting models on how the rest of the season will go and playoff possibilities. And we will talk about that. Yeah, we'll that talk a about that in next. a moment, along with the relationship between Wilson and Peyton, because what you've seen from Wilson, whatever you want to talk about the way he's played, the attitude is interesting, given what we just explained. We'll discuss more about that. Remember, it's your show as well. 303-831-1340 is the number. We'll talk more about the Denver Broncos next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. With the Denver Broncos at their bye, the Buffalo Bills will await them next Monday night in Buffalo. That's a tough place to start your back half, a November night game in Buffalo. Yeesh. But we'll see. I mean, obviously, the, the defense that the Broncos has put out there over the last couple games, Patrick Mahomes himself talked about it and said that other teams will replicate it because, he, as he said, the, the Broncos have stifled their offense two out of the last three weeks. And with a, a, when that comes from a guy like Mahomes, who is a, a clear student of the game and we'll figure it out. It, the NFL cyclical, whatever the Broncos have done, teams are going to try to copy it. And I can guarantee you that Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes will find a way around it eventually because that's what they do. But that, that defense being somewhat translatable. I don't know if that's, if that works or not, you know what I mean? So it's that'll that'll be interesting coming in the second half. I don't think Buffalo's a win, but I think this team does take a look at trying to to do something in particular, make some noise, try to find a way to to get themselves back to five hundred maybe, and and come into the end of the season saying, "Look what we've built." And I think there's a realistic chance of that. But you've talked a little bit about 
the, the likelihood of that happening because they missed on some early games. I mean, you know, they lost that open, they lost to the Raiders. The Raiders are three and five, and they cleaned house. They fired Josh McDaniels. They fired their GM. They fired their OC. Yes. And that looks again like a, a loss that you never should have taken. And you're 500 now. So, I mean, that they well, missed some early, and now you're trying to find a way to, to, to gain it but back. But that's, that's how bad they are. And according to Austin Mock, who does these uh, uh, predictive uh, pieces for the athletic and has a betting model that admittedly is his betting model, so it's one man's opinion in that respect, uh, the Broncos are projected to win somewhere between six and seven games this year. 6.3 is mm-hmm. the projected. That would give them a 1.6% chance of making the playoffs and no chance to win the Super Bowl. They aren't alone in that regard, by the way. Um, 23 of the 32 teams have at least a 10% chance to make the playoffs, but some of those teams are at zero or very close to zero as far as Super Bowl possibilities. The only two teams below the Broncos in win projection Playoff percentage chances. Chicago, five wins, 0.3%, I'm sorry. And Carolina, 4.7 wins, 0.9% chance to make the playoffs. The Raiders, if you're asking, six and a half wins, 2.9%, and, of course, no chance to get to the Super Bowl or win the Super Bowl. Now, I would take what happened overnight in the wee hours of the morning, the firing of McDaniels and the firing of Dave Ziegler, a colleague of McDaniels with the New England Patriots, and the firing of Mick Lombardi, the offensive coordinator. Um, I don't know what a Josh McDaniels offensive coordinator does, <laughs> but well, whatever he was doing, nothing. he yeah. won't be doing it anymore, at least not for the Raiders. So they clean house. But they're still in the standings via that win over the Broncos. Both teams three and five. They're ahead of the Broncos. Broncos are still in last place. So I'm a little bit reluctant to say, listen, not only are the Broncos going to surpass the Raiders, but they're looking at the Chargers. The Chargers actually are one of those teams that does seem to have a slightly easier schedule the second half of the year. And, you know, I I think the quarterback's been handicapped by the broken middle finger, I think it is, on his left hand. (laughs) I had to laugh. They lined him up for some odd reason on the first play of the game under center from his own six-yard line. Boy, who could have guessed that they'd fumble? Fortunately, they recovered the fumble. He was never under center again (laughs) for the rest of the night. And uh, listen, I I don't think uh, Brandon Staley outcoaches many people, but they're too good to be mediocre. I'm not saying they'll make the playoffs, but I think they'll have a winning record. Uh, it probably won't be much better than ten and seven, uh, and that's maybe a little generous, but somewhere around nine and eight, eight and nine. The the Broncos aren't going to win eight or nine games. They, no, they, they're not. They're not. No, they're not. 
They're not. I, I think no. the floor. Oh my gosh. The, the the floor for the Broncos is probably around four wins, and the ceiling. Boy, I think seven is even stretching it, but I'll say seven between four and seven wins. That 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 doesn't get you anywhere near the playoffs. But you know, people it, it, listen not to what they say. Watch what they do. A long hill bromide of mine. Right. And if you listen only to what Sean Payton says, you believe that he'll be throwing furniture through plate glass windows. <laughs> in his office if the Broncos don't make the playoffs. In, in, don't believe yeah, in that In reality, for a he second. knew they weren't going to make the playoffs. Seth Wickersham's piece, written back in August for ESPN.com, established definitively that Sean Payton knew exactly what kind of football team he had. The debate is whether he's made his assessment of the team better or worse through his coaching of the team. And I would argue up to now, he's made it worse. He's made it worse. He's been a liability. He would argue that it's been no worse than a net neutral. And if there's blame for three and five, you start with a quarterback. Yeah. That is his real position, and, and I guess stated or not for public. That's where I want to look at Russell Wilson because I get it. Russell Wilson has a lot of artifice attached, uh, you know, you call Sultan of sugar, sugar coating, and uh, and uh, it's certainly true. But we now that we've kind of broken this down and gone over this, I, I look at Russell Wilson in a bit of a different light because he has absolutely played the good soldier in this. He's aware he's in an offense that is asking him to do what's be- what his ability generally allows him to do best. He knows that. He knows that Sean Payton's moving on from him at the end of the year. He knows that. Not ev- I want to give him credit for that because not. Every player is going to just continually rah-rah his team when he knows he's got a foot out the door, when he knows that his coach doesn't trust him, when he knows that the offense doesn't suit him and the coaches aren't going to make any changes to make it suit him. And you haven't heard Russell Wilson sound any different at any point. And I think at a certain stage, when you're talking about how this relationship works, I think Wilson deserves a bit of credit for not putting himself first, at least publicly, and and still making it about the Denver Broncos when he knows that the Denver Broncos are not about Russell Wilson. It is not reciprocal. He knows it. That's tough. I think he deserves some credit for it. The only other coach that I can think of in the NFL who gets the kind of benefit of the doubt being accorded to Sean Payton is Matt LaFleur in Green Bay. And during Matt LaFleur's first three years, they won 39 games. I think he's earned the benefit. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so this this is a, a tricky spot to be in, obviously. But it's um, it's something to watch because the way the season goes along is the Broncos' playoff chances visibly diminish. And keep, keep in mind, by the way, by most metrics, they're about 5% now. <laughs> it's not like it's they're immensely in good shape. But. This relationship is fascinating. You know, can Wilson be that guy when it's obvious the team's trying to get rid of him? I, I, I don't know. My guess is he actually probably can. Maybe deserves some credit for that. Also deserving credit, by the way, Justin Simmons, a named AFC Defensive Player of the Week after his performance at fifth career interception of Patrick Mahomes. That's not really what, uh, you know, that wasn't the career part. It was just the game of that week. But a, a really good performance and a nice honor. It's been a while since the Broncos have had an individual honor. But how about this? Since he was drafted, since 2016, 
since he's entered the league. Here are the number of the top interceptors in football. And I'll just start at number five. Well, I'll start at number six because you'd know the names. I'll even go to seven. How's this? Darius Slay, Marcus Peters, Quandre Diggs, each have 24. They're good defensive backs. J.C. Jackson with 26. Kevin Bayard just traded to Philly with 27. And tied atop all players for interceptions since 2016, Xavier Howard, and Justin Simmons right. with 29. That's elite company. You'll also notice that a lot of those guys are corners, not safeties. Yeah, that's true. And some of those guys, well, at least one of those guys, really can't play anymore. Seemingly, unless he plays for the Patriots, yeah, the he can't case. play anymore. And Jackson's one of those guys who the, both during his stint with New England and since he was traded back to New England, he's actually played pretty well. And healthy or unhealthy was of no use to the Chargers whatsoever and might have even been, when he did play, a liability. Yeah, sort of odd but, there, but yeah. But you're right. Most of those guys who are healthy are still productive. Those those are Pro Bowl guys. They're and still so, you know, good players. And I would great. argue, I would argue... That somebody like Slay, for example, is as good a cornerback as there is in the league right now because he makes so many plays. Well, and you may have noticed out of those seven guys I mentioned, two of them currently play in the defensive backfield for the Eagles. Now that they had Byard. Yeah. I mean, that's that's guys that uh that that's well, a Byard they team. just got. They just but, got him. Yeah. But I mean, but I, there you go. I, get, I mean, that's I, two of those seven guys point. are on Philly now. That is a, a nasty How combo. do Philadelphia and San Francisco keep adding on these great players without giving up very much? Quarterbacks without now, massive now deals. I, you know, listen, Bayard, to me, maybe great is overstating it, but he's borderline. He's obviously very, very good. Very good, yes. And Pro Bowl caliber. Sure. I, I would say Chase Young, uh, who was just acquired by the 49ers, mm-hmm. is a good player who was expected to be great and though good has not yet been great, but the 49ers picked up Christian McCaffrey last year at a point when a whole lot of folks thought still good, no longer great, largely because he can't take the pounding anymore without getting hurt. Well, the 49ers have given him a lot of responsibility, and he's basically stayed healthy for them. And I think Chase Young, with a chance at a ring now, will play far a ring better football. And free agency? Yeah. Than, than, and he's a free agent at the end of the year. He'll play far better for the 49ers. And this has always irritated me in sports. He'll play far better for the 49ers than he did for a Washington team that needed him to play better than the 49ers need him to play. I, it used to just irritate me. I guess it's human nature. But the likes in the early 80s of Bob McAdoo and Michael Thompson would get traded to the Lakers. And to be honest about it, maybe they weren't doing anything less than their best, but they sure seemed to me with some of the teams that both played on before they got to the Lakers, like they were half I do, I do think it's human Like nature. they had semi-retired. And then they go to the Lakers. To an extent. And they'd accept secondary roles yeah. and play like 
their lives depended on it night after night after night. And it always irritated me that the teams that needed you to play like that were your old team. There's always an intersection between your professionalism and your motivation. And those two, those two lines intersect somewhere, but they don't intersect in the same place for every person. <laughs> That's a big part of it. But uh, football season is underway, and you can win a trip. Look, you know, the local team isn't going, but you can win a trip to the biggest football game of the year, courtesy of Superbook Sports. I mean, Superbook will fly you and a friend to Las Vegas. That's where they're having the Super Bowl. For February's championship game, they'll also give you two tickets to the game plus a three-night stay. All you have to do is place a $25 same-game parlay between now and January 7th, and you're automatically entered to win. So wager and win a super trip to Vegas, courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com. For terms and conditions, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Avalanche get back underway. They'll be on the home ice against the Blues tonight. TNT National Broadcast. Who's playing where? The offense has kind of disappeared. We don't know about the backup goaltender. We're going to look at the Avalanche. Still looking perfectly good, but there were some questions. And Jared Bednar laid out his plan. I have an opportunity to see if uh, words and action align. We'll explain later from My Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Here's an opportunity breaking in as Nick Felino in backhand. And Georgi have a great save. He can stretch with his left leg as he goes with Felino. Georgiev has looked like that, of course, that call from the, uh, you know, Friends over at ESPN from the early well, that was a game against the Blackhawks and 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 looked, are on TNT. Uh, they are they're on TNT tonight. They're the the faceoff is at seven thirty a little later. Not crazy, but uh, in the first handful of games, Alexander Georgiev looked like the best goaltender in hockey. Now yeah. he, now he only looks like one of the best goaltenders in hockey. But the truth of the matter is, the last four games, uh, the Avalanche one scoring is an issue, but. They've been allowing some goals. Now, not all of them are on Georgiev, to be very, very fair. There have been some significant breakdowns in the last couple of games that no goaltender would be expected to stop. But the truth of the matter is the Avs right now are coughing up a lot of goals. They are, and I think there will be lineup changes tonight. We know that McCarr and Byram missed practice yesterday. Didn't skate yesterday, right. And uh, their status is term questionable uh, for the game tonight, although Bednar said he expected at least one of the two to be in the lineup. They've called up Caleb Jones from the Eagles, and uh, they'll need to recall, I guess if both can't play, they'll need to recall uh, somebody else because they need six guys. You can't play with five. I mean, I guess you can You can put McDermott back there. Yeah, I no, guess exactly. His, uh, exactly. His, it it kind of uh, swings. He's, he's been a healthy but Keep in mind, we talk about that, that Chicago game, 4-0, that, that win. Uh, Gurdjieff shuts them out, and, and they beat the Blackhawks at four zip. Ever since that game, we heard that highlight. They've given up four goals a game in the last yeah. four. Yeah, four. Uh, they they beat exactly Carolina four. six to four. They beat the Islanders seven to four. But then they've lost the last two to Pittsburgh and Buffalo by absolutely identical 
4-0 shutouts. You know, the well, defense is not looking great. I, I don't know that McCarr and, and Byram have serious injuries. In fact, Byram is mysterious because he basically played the whole game. Uh, we know what happened to McCarr the other day. We right. talked about it at length uh, yesterday. So if he has to sit out a game, it wouldn't be shocking. Uh, with Byram, boy, I, for, for someone who just hasn't played much during the regular season, anything that keeps him out, especially if it, it wasn't reflected in the yeah, previous game. Yeah, there's a game, knock on wood for there's, me. Boy, you, you, I, I'm more worried about Byron, frankly, yeah. than, than I would be McCarr. In any case, I think there are a couple of candidates among the forwards because they've gone with the same 18 skaters for the past seven games now. I think rather than just mixing up the line combinations, I could see Tatar and Gruen, who were wearing fourth-line jerseys at practice yesterday, I could see either one or both being benched. And I could see Riley Tufty, who was just called up from the Eagles, playing tonight. Now, he was in practice yesterday working with the second line, and they bumped Logan O'Connor up to the third line. Okay. So I, I think it's pretty obvious that Tatar and or Druan will be benched. And uh, listen, uh, Tatar's a minus two, Druan's zero, but Druan has scored a goal yet. He has just the one assist. And uh, Tatar has actually four assists. Yeah, I was like, I think Tatar's played quite a bit better than Druan. He's played okay but he's minus two. And there are a couple of guys who are minus three, but Lekkonen's not going to sit. And Miles Wood is not going to sit. And Tufty's, look, Tufty's a big body, and he's earned this opportunity. He's got six goals in eight games for the Eagles. He is. He's he's hot on a team that can't score the last two games. uh, It makes a lot of sense to bring him up, even if he is not going to be Scoring we at talked that about rate this stuff here. with McCarr too, and, and the, but the McCarr you know injury that fortunately turned out not to be terribly serious, even if he doesn't play tonight. But it, it incensed Nathan McKinnon, who got himself basically tossed from the game. But, but I've talked about this in the off season. I've talked about it since the season began, and you know we're talking about a Byram, whatever, not being able to play. I do wonder if if the the Avs need some bigger bodies available. And to be able to play with more physicality and at least have the, the possibility Tufty's of a threat. Kind of Tufty is that guy. He's big. He's not afraid to mix it up. You put him on the ice, you know, guys will take fewer liberties. And I think there might be value to that, and there might be some advantage to doing it tonight. What, it, what I'm really curious about is when are we going to see Ivan Prosvetov, the backup goaltender? Now, Georgiev started the ball. I would think tonight. I get he's not fatigued. I'm not saying he's fatigued this early in the season. But if you want to get him, let's say, uh, I don't think you even want him playing 60 games, quite frankly, but let's let's say 60, right? Well, that means that one out of every four, the backup needs to play. Yeah, that's right. So we're already behind on that pace. Now, Bednar talked about the idea of getting rest earlier in the season. He did, and he said, "I, I don't believe that if I sit Georgiev for one or two days, it's not going to matter. But if I have an opportunity, and it happens this week that the schedule affords him that opportunity, to give him five full days, right, before he'd have to play on Saturday, because after yeah. tonight, that's the next, next game. game on the schedule. At Vegas, by you the way. You give him five days. Bednar, 
I think will play this, tonight. This feels like with some new forwards. Yeah, maybe a defenseman, and maybe a goaltender, and a goaltender who's different just to shake things up. Uh, St. Louis is no one's idea of a juggernaut. Uh, they're ahead of only Chicago in the division. Uh, they aren't a playoff caliber team. It's the NHL, so apart from San Jose, no one is really, really bad. Buffalo is in last place with a 4-5 and five record. Pittsburgh's in last place with a record of 3-6. and six. Chicago is 3-6 and six in last place. And Chicago beat Las Vegas, albeit in overtime, late last week. So there's nobody other than San Jose who's really awful. Edmonton's only won two games, but when McDavid comes back, they'll be fine. My point being that if you're saving your backup for bad teams, he'll be sitting most of the year because there's only one out of 32 teams in the league that hasn't won yet and is really bad, and that's San Jose. Well, you played San Jose already, and obviously Georgiev played that game, and that was the game, if I'm not mistaken, where the San Jose goaltender made 50 saves during the course of the game, and the Avalanche pulled it out yeah, in overtime. Yeah, McKenzie Blackwood, who went bonkers. Uh, congratulations. I think it was a shootout, actually. It was. It was a it shootout. It even overtime. We'll find out tonight. Face-off to 730. Congratulations go to uh, Paul Stasny, by the way. Paul Stasny, very quietly... Announces his retirement. Now, I, I will give you this. If I, We're going to combine the Avalanche and the Quebec Nordiques together, and I, we should for a minute for this. How's this? Paul Stasny on the, in Avalanche history is the eighth leading scorer, behind only Joe Sackick, Milan Hayduk, Nathan McKinnon, Peter Forsberg, Gabriel Landeskog, Miko Rantanen, and Alex Tangay. Tangay, 30 points ahead of Stasny, with his 458 points in eight seasons. Everybody ahead of him on that list played with the Avalanche for longer. The... Combined, however, put this together. Paul Stasny goes to 12th. But Anton Stasny, his uncle, is 7th. Peter Stasny, that is 2nd, behind only Joe Sackett. Three of the top 12 skaters in Avalanche, Nordiques combined history, are Stasny's. That is remarkable. It, it is. And by the way, Peter Stasny, along with Michel Goulet, is the number three all-time right. score combined. Right. They had their numbers retired in Quebec. The Avalanche should retire them as well. I agree. Uh, Peter Stasny, by the way, uh, other than Sackick, is the greatest forward ever to play for this franchise. The only other, or the only other player to have 1,000 points. Paul Stasny, in an understated way, I believe had greatness in him. I say that because he was one of the few guys, Chris Drury was like this too, mm-hmm. in perhaps a more extreme way than Paul Stasny. Chris Drury during the regular season with the Avalanche, I can say this. I I can't speak to the other teams he played for, and I I think he was probably a better regular season player with those other teams. But during the regular season, Chris Drury was not one of the top 50 players in the National Hockey League. During the playoffs, he was one of the top 10. Yeah. Pretty close to being top five. He was so clutch. There wasn't a meaningless goal that I remember Chris Drury ever scoring. He was great in overtimes. Not Sackick-level great, but 
Sackett might have been the greatest overtime performer in the history of the league in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Paul Stastny accumulated 822 points in mm-hmm. 1,145 games over 17 seasons. Played with the Avs from 06 through 14. Left in free agency for St. Louis 14 through 18. Had two stints in Winnipeg, a brief one in 2018. And then 2020 through 22. Played in Las Vegas 18 through 20. And in Carolina in 22-23. He had seven 20-goal seasons. Interestingly enough, I thought he was a better player in the NHL than he was in college, and he was a terrific player in college. He never, in either of his two seasons at DU, scored 20 goals. <laughs> he comes out of the shoot in the NHL, first three years with the Avalanche, 28 goals, 24 goals, and 20 goals. And then 25 goals in the 13-14 season, yeah. his last season in Yep, phenomenal. And at the age of 36, two seasons ago with Winnipeg, 21 again. Congratulations to Paul Stasny, one of the great all-time Avs, and a terrific, terrific NHL player retiring like a lot of hockey players do, right? Literally late at night on a Tuesday, just trying to sneak out the back door. Not quite, Paul. Remember, we we noticed you. Congratulations, and congratulations on what's next. The Denver Nuggets are on a roll, still unbeaten. They have an opportunity to keep it going against the Timberwolves tonight. We'll break it down with those to the Pick X and Roll podcast and the lead Nuggets reporter from Iowa Sports, Ryan Blackburn, next. I'm the champion. I'm the champion.